Hello there, I'm Brian Taylor. Down the years, you may have seen me on the telly or heard me on the wireless, but this is different. This is the Brian Taylor podcast brought to you by The Herald. Coming up... This is the point in time in in the world's history where leaders are actually going to have to step up and make really difficult decisions that are not going to endear us to everybody. There are standards that are set for elected members. To try and overturn that, to accommodate one of their own members, is just actually, it's frankly quite astonishing that they take that type of approach. My my concern, even before this conference started, uh, was that we'd have a series of announcements that uh, would only amount to anything if they were backed up by actions. Hello there, and a very warm welcome to the latest edition of my Herald podcast. On the show this week, a sort of salty blend of COP26 and corruption. At the Glasgow Climate Talks, the Prime Minister is pursued by questions about the behaviour of some of his MPs, and he ends up assuring the world that the UK is not fundamentally corrupt. Now, we'll look at both issues, but I stress mostly we will look at future of the planet. Joining me to discuss that are three uh, MSPs, Elena Whittam from the SNP, Graham Simpson from the Conservatives, and Claire Baker from the Labour Party. Welcome to them. I'll talk to them very soon indeed. But first, my colleague Alistair Grant of The Herald. Uh, Alistair, the the corruption, if you like, the the PM used the word, we have in the last uh, wee while a, a demand from the SNP for an inquiry into um, the behaviour of certain Conservative MPs. What, what's going on? Yeah, so essentially this kind of stems back to the Owen Patterson case, uh, also the MP that was found to have broken lobbying rules. Yeah. Um, and there was a vote uh, to kind of overhaul the standard system and put on hold the kind of 30-day suspension that he was facing. And then there was a massive U-turn, essentially, and none of that is going to happen now. Um, attention has kind of turned in, a, in kind of recent days to kind of wider issues of concerns around, you know, quote-unquote sleaze in, yeah. in Westminster. So there's been a lot of attention on uh, Jeffrey Cox, the MP, the former Attorney General, who earns a lot of money as a barrister, uh, as his kind of second job as an MP, uh, and one of the one of the kind of one of his kind of clients, I guess, one of the people he's advising is uh, the British Virgin Islands, um, which are facing a kind of an inquiry into corruption at the moment. So there's been concerns around that. Uh, there's also been kind of se- separate but linked concerns about the House of Lords and the way yes. that people get seats in the House of Lords. So it's kind of a it's almost a kind of existential crisis about. You know, MPs, Westminster, how power works, whether we should be worrying about how power works in the, in, in the country. Alistair, in the last, only really today and, and yesterday, a bit of a turnaround in that, you know, the accusation from, from some is that it's a plot by the Conservatives. But two SNP MPs and one Labour MP said, well, frankly, said to have been drunk on a, a, a parliamentary trip to Gibraltar with the army. Yes, this is a story that was briefed to a number of newspapers, actually. Uh, last night and kind of came out overnight. It was in the papers this morning. So it was two SNP MPs, like you say, uh, Drew Hendry and David Linden, and a, a Labour MP as well was involved, who were basically, as you say, accused of being drunk on a flight to Gibraltar, where they were on a kind of all-party parliamentary group for the armed forces, a kind of trip army, yeah. to, to meet the army, yeah, essentially. Um, yeah, and, and the, SNP are, the, the SNP members are adamant that this is what they call a, a smear by the Conservatives. They are strenuously denying it. Yeah, both Drew Hendry and David Linton have taken to social media uh, to make clear that you know they're saying it's false, it's not true, it smears. Um, you know, Scottish government source today was saying that the Tories are at it. So uh, yeah, very much denying that this happened. Graham Simpson, is your is your party at it uh, in terms of bad behaviour on the, the part of a few of your own members and trying to smear your rivals or, or not? Um, well, I, I don't really know the answer to that, Brian. Um, 
you know, obviously I wasn't wasn't on the flight. Um, I can't I can't I can't really speak what about, for what went on or what didn't go on. What about the behaviour uh, of Jeffrey Cox and, and Owen Patterson? Well, uh, I mean, if we can go back to the, the the Gibraltar allegations, because there are a number of you know MSPs, MPs will get to go on trips like this. I mean, I've been, I've been on a few myself, um, and. You know, you just have to know how to behave. Um, you, have, you, you, you need to realise you can't, you can't get drunk. Now, I'm not saying anyone got, got drunk, but there are standards that you just need to adhere to. Um, if you want to ask me about uh, Jeffrey Cox, I suppose the, the issue there is uh, second jobs, um, outside yeah. earnings. Um, I think that's, that's actually... Quite a complicated issue, and we maybe have time on this sort of forum to discuss it properly. Do, do, you, do, you, think it, do you think it does the Conservative Party any good? Is the image good, Claire Baker? You, you want to? No, I was going to say. I think, you know, I think the situation with the Tories is a bit further than the second job debate. Um, you know, there's levels of. Uh, I think it's it's arrogance, it's privilege that's been shown through the way in which they're behaving when it comes to the money they're taking for lobbying. Um, has been, you know, the, the, the allegations of sleaze that have been levelled at the Tory party at the moment is extremely disappointing to see. We've seen this with previous Conservative governments, um, but it does ring true. There are uh, members on their benches who are taking money of private businesses and using that in order to lobby and try and have influence within government. And we think that is unacceptable. And there is a standards committee there that serves a purpose. And what they tried to do last week in terms of overturning that was totally unacceptable and actually rips up a system that Westminster was operating under. You know, we have a similar system up here. We, uh, there are standards that are set for elected members to try and overturn that to accommodate one of their own members is just actually, it's frankly quite astonishing that they take that type of approach. So if I, if I, if I can jump in there because... Graham, uh, please, uh, and then I'll bring in the leader. Graham, on you go. Yeah, I mean, there are two separate issues. I completely agree with Claire on, on the lobbying issue, and I've, I've been saying that uh, this this week. Um, it, it's absolutely wrong what, what happened uh, in the Commons. It was wrong that they had the vote. It was uh, wrong that they then got into a position of having to overturn that vote uh, absolutely ridiculous there's then a separate issue and it is a, it's a different issue of MPs or, or MSPs even having second jobs or second uh, income so I think there are two there are two different issues to discuss here on the lobbying um, Claire is absolutely right uh, and uh, should be pointed out that on lobbying uh, if an MSP was caught being a paid advocate, then they could face criminal sanctions, and that's not the case for MPs. Yeah, but it is against the rules of the House, just the same. For, it's for against the rules of the House, but the but sanctions... Not, not criminal, are... I understand the distinction. Elena, you'd be very patient. Elena Whitham from, from the SNP, what, what do you make of all of this? What, what do you make of the, the impact, if you like, upon the public, you know, the Prime Minister having to say the UK is not a corrupt country? Yeah, that's actually where I was going to come in on this, Brian, because I think that Claire got to the heart of the matter. But if we, you know, if, if Graham, you're talking about there's two two different aspects to look at here, the public don't see it that way. The public see it as um, a corrupt institution and it starts to undermine the public's yeah. um, belief in politicians and it does all of us no good. Um, so I think that that really needs to be looked at under the microscope. What about the, the Gibraltar story? Do you think there's any any substance to it, or do you think it, uh, do you think well, were they were they you know steaming while flying, or 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 or, 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 or is it made up? 
I mean, I think Graham's right. When you're out on these visits, you have to be under your best behaviour. Um, there has been a, re- you know, a refuting of the allegations by all of the the MPs involved, and I think that there is a, an element of deflection in a week where there's, you know, huge amounts of corruption being discussed by the Tory Party. I think Ben Wallace really should have been focusing on his role um, and his vote and and the Owen Patterson um, vote that was Westminster. Uh, Alistair, where, 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 where does this where does this go in terms? Of, I mean, we'll come very shortly to. To, to COP26, and we will discuss that as the the, the, the way, way the main substance of this of this podcast. But let's just finish with this a little bit. Where does this go next? Is there likely to be an inquiry? Is there is there to be a standards committee inquiry? What, what's happening at Westminster? I mean, it's a it's a good question. I'm not sure where this goes next. I mean, it just no. it just threw up a lot of questions, and these are questions that have come up again and again in Westminster. You know, we had not that many years ago the MPs expenses scandal, and it's, this is kind of bringing up similar issues to that in terms of trust and undermining trust and people having faith in these democratic institutions. I think we probably should expect um, more kind of standards standards investigations into there's been a lot of, kind of separate issues that are thrown up. I think the government is facing a lot of questions um, and I think we heard from Graeme Simpson there that there's anger within the Tory party the way uh, that situation was handled. So um, yeah, I don't think this is an issue that's going to go away anytime soon. Great, Graeme, are you, Graeme, are you upset about the the image this leaves for your your party, I accept that it that it's it's individual instances. I accept that it was a what you describe as a, a, an individual error by by the, the the UK government with regard to the, the handling of the standards committee. But what, what about the, the the taint it leaves for your party? You must be a bit uh, distressed about that. Um, I don't really get distressed about very very much, but I, you know, I, 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 I think it's um, That's what what happened. What what happened was wrong. It it was wrong, and I, I think it does it doesn't reflect well uh, on on anyone, frankly. Um, so you, you know we shouldn't be, be we shouldn't be behaving in that way. Um, I've actually, if I've got time, yeah, uh, maybe I can come back uh, another point. I've, I'm working on a members' bill at the moment, which would potentially introduce the power of recall. In the Scottish Parliament, and there's a, there's 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 just uh-huh. there's loads of questions around that. So these are never simple issues, um, but I'll be uh, probably bringing forward a consultation in the next few weeks. Okay. Let's move. Let, let's move to the, the the substance then of COP26. Thanks to you for your contributions on that, Al- Alistair. Where, where are we in that? We had that remarkable announcement by the US and China that they're working together, but a number of people are saying good news, good set, good uh, sort of sense of momentum but absolutely no details and nothing to tie down either party. Yeah, so I think the, the main events in COP this week, from certainly from my perspective, have been, I think we had a few days ago, we had the Climate Action Tracker, which is yeah. backed by a number of kind of prominent scientific organisations. It was essentially saying that we're not doing anywhere near enough. And I think they said that we're, we're heading to, at the moment, we're heading for a kind of global warming of 2.5 degrees, 2.4 degrees, sorry, yeah. uh, which is obviously well above that Paris Agreement of 2015, which is aiming for the 1.5 degrees. Um, So on the back of that, we had Boris Johnson taking the train back up to Glasgow to basically kind of urge world leaders to to help, to help tackle this and to get involved and to take action to, as he said, um, kind of signal the beginning of the end man-made climate change. And shortly, he made that press conference uh, yesterday in Glasgow on, uh, on Thursday, sorry, on Wednesday, and shortly after that, a couple of hours later, we had this, like you said, it was a bit of a surprise. I think it took everyone by yes. surprise, this uh, agreement between the US and China, this joint declaration to, to work together to cut emissions and to kind of combat climate change. And it is, to be honest, you know, 
if you look at the agreement, it is, there's a lot of kind of vague language. There's not a yes. lot of kind of definite things that are going to happen. But just the fact that it's happened, I think, is it's got a kind of symbolic worth. Um, it's actually China coming to the table. You know, the US and China arguably haven't had great relations uh, in uh -huh. recent years. And this is them both saying that actually we need to do something about this. Um, so I think in terms of the next couple of days, obviously COP is due to end tomorrow, um, yes. on Friday. But there's been a lot of reports today and a lot of expectation that actually will run over into the weekend. Yeah. And we'll see you know, deals being hammered out on Saturday and Sunday. So, yeah. We'll yeah I mean, uh, uh, Elena, we, 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 have, we have both UK government and Scottish government saying, you know, try and, try and consolidate this. Prime Minister saying, pull together and drive for the line. The First Minister saying that the draft uh, text which emerged must be a floor, not a ceiling, and needs to be improved upon. We're just not there yet, are we, in terms of uh, a deal that will even remotely satisfy those who are uh, most keen to see an improvement to, to the environment. No, I absolutely agree. I mean, I, you know, I've been a climate activist since I was 16. I'm now approaching 50. Um, and I think that many of us were enthused, as I was, by Mia Motley, who, you know, the Prime Minister of Barbados, and her rousing speech at the beginning of um, the conference. But mm -hmm. many of us as well were moved to, to tears almost, as we saw, you know, the elder Mary Robinson yesterday when she was just expressing her frustration at the lack of impetus that there is. So I think that at this point, in these crunch hours, I think they really have to get back around that table, really build on the momentum that's been um you know, out there now with that declaration from, from the US and China yesterday and trying to nail down some tangible, um, you know, codes that they're going to have to work to to actually get Paris binding. But, but almost, uh, I mean, almost the, the US-China deal is, 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 is uh, preparing, preparing the way for a possible um, uh, digital summit between, between Biden and, and Xi Jinping. Um, the, the, even the draft agreement says we need to improve upon our, our move towards 1.5. But AIR will do it in terms of declarations by the end of 2022. All of it is, is deferred. It's action deferred in, in each case. Is that, is that your concern? That's very much my concern. I think that the declarations actually come on the back of, what are they saying, about 30 meetings that they've been having yeah. in the lead up to COP. Um, my concern is that, you know, we don't want to wait until the next COP to actually get Paris to be binding. And that is the real big issue because the Global South don't have that time. They're seeing immediate issues um, in the present time. Yeah, interesting. Claire, what do you make of it, Claire Baker? Yeah, I mean, I agree with Elena on much of what she said. I think at this stage, you know, we do have to try and remain positive. We don't, it's acceptable, we don't see enough evidence of real concrete decisions being made and commitments being made. And things do still sound too vague. And the draft statement is, you know, I agree with the First Minister saying it has to be a floor and not a ceiling. It's not ambitious enough. There's not enough there. Um, but this indication of America and China working together, the two biggest combined polluters that we have who contribute towards climate change, agreeing to work together for China to recognise that it has a significant role to play here internationally, I think is important uh -huh. and, and needs to be welcomed. But we still have quite a long way to go. Um, and my concern is that we get, whether it goes over the weekend, that the commitments aren't firm enough. The timescales yes. aren't firm enough. There's not enough accountability built in there. I mean, they've yes. talked about coming back on a year-on-year -year report, uh -huh. a progress report, in a way to try and keep pressure on. Um, but you recognise you know, how challenging it is for everybody around. The world. On the one hand, on the on the one hand, on the one hand, that idea of a year-by-year -year report could, could be giving impetus to it. On the other hand, it's a very easy way for someone who's at Glasgow and facing tough decisions that possibly you know damage or or, or um, uh, cause constraint to industries in their country. It's a very easy way to say, we will deal with this 
next year or the year after. It's it's very it's a very very easy route out, isn't it? I suppose better than I've seen some commitments saying we'll deliver something by twenty seventy. I, I mean that's just you know nobody here is going to be around by twenty seventy. That's just not uh, it's not enough. Yeah, yeah it's, Arabia, it's, it's not exactly a, 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 a great pressure. Yeah, but I do. I mean, I see you know friends of the earth today are talking about the Scottish government's reluctance to join a fossil fuel coalition, uh, one that Denmark and Wales and other countries have agreed to. And I think we're. I think that's wrong. I think we should be shown. We should recognise you know that we are an oil and gas producing country. And we're, we have an economy that has been built on fossil fuels. We can't continue like that. We need to make there'll be, di- and that's why we support just transitions. We need to make sure communities and workers are supported through the change. But we need to see a change in our energy base, and we should be, we should be committed to that. Bringing Graham Simpson in a moment. Uh, uh, thanks, bringing Graham Simpson in a moment. But Elena, on the, on that, and I will Graham very 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 shortly. Elena, on that point, I mean, you know, Scotland's a, an oil producer and has been a substantial oil producer. It's now tailing off a bit, but there's still a, a fair old queen of oil out there. Do, do you accept that it is a dilemma for the, the 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 Scottish government that they are trying to get this balance between protecting, what is it, 100,000 jobs in, in the North Sea, but you know not contributing to, to climate change? I think we have to recognise that there's a huge amount of jobs right across the, the planet that are linked to fossil fuel extraction. Um, and just because it, it's there doesn't mean that we have to actually take it out the ground or, you know, from wherever it's coming from. And I do think that, um, you know, the First Minister has been engaging in talks with um, the Energy Minister from Denmark. And, you know, I think that we'll have to, to wait and see how that pans out. But, you know, I'm with Claire, there needs to be a just transition. I, I represent Carrick, Cumnock and Dune Valley, and there was no just transition for the coal mm-hmm sector there which is you know devastated the communities that I represent uh-huh. so we need to recognize that across the world you know if you'd asked my area 20 25 30 years ago to give everything up that would have been really difficult at this point in time there is no coal industry there anymore and we need something new so we need to bring that just transition in there but we can't forget the communities that are relying on those jobs at the minute and that's that's the crux of the issue that we're facing Graham, I'll talk to you generally in a second. But Graham, what about that point about North Sea oil? Do you feel we, it, it would be a mistake to be, you know, we're talking about just transition. The question is about the pace of that transition. Would it be a mistake to make that pace too rapid in your view? Um, yeah, I, I, I think it would be. I mean, I realise, you know, the discussion around Cambo, is a, it, it, it appears to be a tricky one uh, for Nicola Sturgeon. Um, it's probably been made tricky, frankly, because of the deal with the Greens. Um, if she hadn't had that deal, I think she may have been a bit more forthcoming about what what she actually thinks about it. Okay. Um, I, I suspect she actually uh, thinks that it should go ahead uh, because of all, all the jobs that are connected to it and the fact that we're you know we're not actually quite ready to completely give up oil and gas. I think she knows that. You just can't bring yourself to say it. Yeah. Okay. What What about the wider? I'll bring in the later on that point in a moment. But what What about the wider situation? Are you concerned that there is there is slippage on 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 all on all parts, or is that just an inevitable consequence of what is it? Nearly two hundred countries being potentially involved in discussions. Um. I my my concern even before this conference started uh, was that we'd have a series of announcements that. Uh, would only amount to anything if they were backed up by actions. So I think the, the you know the announcements so far are fine, um, but it, you know there are no specifics in there, and, and, that, and you know that was certainly the case with the announcement from the US and China. Good, good that it happened, but 
you know, what are you actually going to do? Uh, and I think that, you know, there, there the idea of maybe having a yearly updates could be a good idea. You know, I think if you were to say to people, well, what progress have you actually made? And then we can actually measure things. And at the moment, that doesn't seem to be happening on a country-by-country basis. Uh-huh. Uh, Elena, that, that point that Graham was making about Campbell, the, the potential oil field, it has um, go-ahead at the moment. The, the Scottish Government says there should be a reassessment on the basis. John Swinney was asked about that only today in, in the Scottish Parliament. And Mr Swinney saying, uh, repeating the view, there should be a, a, a reassessment of, of, of that. Um, what, what do you make of that? What do you make of the, the Campbell oil field? Is that likely to go ahead or would that be a, a, an error in your view? Um, I think it has to be fully reassessed um, based on the new criteria that we'd be setting and not um, the criteria that was set when it was first looked at. Um, and I think that that's the right way to do it. Bearing in mind as well that there are parts of, of the oil and gas industry that aren't going to actually be burnt. So we still need oil and gas to, to you know, for the wider petrochemical industry as well. But that doesn't mean to say that we should continue to explore um, and, you know, and continue in that vein. So I think it's absolutely right um, that it is fully reassessed. And would, you, would, would you say reassess it? That's one thing. But would you say reassess it and turn it down? I would say that if reassessment means that it has to be turned down, that we have to be bold. And this is the point in time in in the world's history where leaders Mm -hmm. are actually going to have to step up and make really difficult decisions that are not going to endear us to everybody. But we also have to back it up with transition. So the £100 million hydrogen draft action plan that's out there at the moment, we actually have to figure out how do we move away from this type of fossil fuels to actually creating different types of energies. Um, and that's happening, you know, in my own constituency in Carrick and Valley, we've got um, the Community and um, Renewable Energy Project that's part of the Ayrshire Growth Deal that's actually bringing the industry in with the academic minds in the community to actually make Cumnock a net zero town. So there's, there's lots of stuff happening for that just transition. And if that means things like Campbell are turned down, then that's the tough decisions that leaders are going to have to make right now. At least, at least Elena is actually saying more than the first ministers ever said so far. At least Elena's had uh, some guts here and has said that Cambo maybe should be turned down. So if she feels that, then good on her that she's she's nailed her colours to the mass, which Nic- Nicholas Sturgeon has so far failed to do. Let, let's let's talk. We'll talk talk uh, soon about the, the broader picture again, but let, let's bring it right back to. Scotland, Alistair Grant, Alistair, would you would you reckon? I mean, Nicholas Sturgeon has been very, very, very visible indeed. Not so much in the the blue zone at COP, but certainly the green zone and, and around the around the, the the city. Has she had a good COP to put it that way? She made a series of announcements uh, in in the week. What do you, what do you make of it, Alistair? Yeah, I mean, like you say, there was. Uh, I remember there was talk in the run up to COP about uh, what Nicholas Sturgeon's role would be. It's obviously a, a, UK, a kind of a UK government event. It's a UK that has a presidency of COP. Um, so it's kind of a difficult one to see, you know, exactly what her role would be and how, how kind of high profile she would be. I think she's done a she has done a good job as of like you say of kind of getting about COP and kind of you know there's been lots of photos of world leaders. Her meeting uh, Joe Biden, for example. Yes. Um, there's been lots of kind of press conferences. She's been speaking to speaking to journalists, um, and there have been announcements from the Scottish government. I think I mean I think fundamentally the problem for the Scottish government is that they are, you know, they're not the they're not at the table, to put it that way. You know, it's the UK yeah. government that's going to be yeah. the ones at the negotiating table. So yeah. the Scottish government can go there and can make its representations and have its, uh, you know, have its pavilion, lobby. Yeah. pavilion yeah. in the in the mm-hmm. in the kind of COP26 centre. But it's the UK government that will be that will be making the making the decisions around the table. 
Elena, how about that? How about Scotland's contribution and, and the, the various Scottish announcements? I mean, I think I think, you know, even the ministers would say themselves they are relatively limited, but they are limited by you know, the, the nature of constitutional settlement, they're not necessarily limited by ambition. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I wish that Scotland had a place at the top table, but I don't think we can underestimate um, just how much of an impact the First Minister's made in terms of her co-chairing role in the, in the European um, under two coalition, etc. So if we think about the announcements that have come out of that, you know, the extra money um, to actually go towards, um, you know, the funding for, for those countries who really need the help because they've seen flooding, they've seen economic disasters happen because of the climate change in their countries and the trebling of the fund yeah. for climate justice is substantial. So I think that whilst it's I, admittedly, you know, though it's financially low substantial, level, but, yeah, 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 yeah. but the ambition and the yeah, leadership okay. that's shown and I think you you have to look at the amount of the 43% of the world's population that's represented by those leaders, whether that's yes. states, regions, provinces, etc. Yes. Those yes. indigenous voices that aren't heard, amplifying them is what the First Minister and everybody else have sought to do this week. And I think they've done that very well. OK, I mean, the First Minister even managing in a, in introducing a book of essays to, 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 to claim Adam Smith on her side, saying Adam Smith would have, would have she reckoned, supported regulation to guard against the destruction of the planet. I mean, poor old Cody's finest. He gets he gets cited by everyone. He's, he's pinched by almost everyone. As, as but there, do you think she's reasonable in that regard? That the the the, the sage of Cody would have supported the climate change action. No, yeah, yeah, no. I'm, I'm sitting on Burnt Island. I'm just along the road um, from ah, Cody, and uh, yeah. So we have the Adam Smith Centre and everything here. And you know, I, I, I suppose it was a period of enlightenment, and uh, we need enlightenment now more than ever. As we Alistair are. said, the, the climate tracker has shown that we are not on track to stick to 1.5 degrees. That is really worrying. It's you know I've spent the I was at COP yesterday um, meeting Brazilian politicians. I was in the Parliament at the weekend at the Global Legislators Summit. When you're speaking to the less developed countries, the real issues they have with uh, climate change, with drought, with flooding, with coastal erosion. These people are experiencing the sharp effects of this yeah. already. And even the flooding we saw in Germany, you know, for the summer, we are facing a significant economic uh, global problem uh, that we all have to address. And I, I would like to see, I mean, I recognise the government here have a commitment to this, but I do have some concerns that what we've done so far has been the easier stuff. Okay. The closure, of Longana, the closure of Longana really contributed, yeah. and the closure of that coal fire, that made a big uh, push on our targets. And it has been the easier stuff, but we've not really seen the shift in terms of uh, retrofit housing, uh, in terms of transport, really investing in rails yeah. and buses and doing the modal shift. We need to see changes in agriculture. And I'm pleased, you know, NFU as an organisation, they have been, they've been meeting with MSPs talking about climate change, but we do need to see those three areas that they have control of in Scotland. We have, yeah. they're all involved. We can make changes. We need to see greater progress in these areas and let be more all, Forgive me, let, let me put this to all of you, starting with Claire. We, 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 you say we need to see changes. Everyone speaking at COP26 says we need changes. We need changes. But those changes eventually or fairly soon are going to involve Inviting people to reduce their car use or even turn it off mm -hmm. altogether, certainly in terms of current petrol and diesel. They're going to be saying, you know, you know, those those flights that you take to the sun? Don't think so. And they're going to be saying, you know, that gas boiler that, that that's powering away gently in your, your cupboard, you're going to have to replace that. These, these are going to be real big changes. Never mind Campbell oil field. These are going to be changes that affect mm -hmm. every household in Scotland. And it strikes me that no politician is yet is yet hammering that home. Claire, Claire first, what about this this eventually this is going to 
it's not hurt the public so much. It, it's affect the public, public, isn't it? Player first. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, we're all going to have to change our behaviour and think about our carbon footprint. We do also, though, have to put pressure on governments and big industry. You know, your, your average, if you, the more, if you lived in a more deprived community, your carbon footprint isn't that big. It's not you that's causing the problem. Okay. Um, we all have to take responsibility. But we also are in one of the richest countries in the world. We have to take responsibility for the impact we've had in other countries. And the less developed countries who are feeling the biggest impact to this, we have a responsibility to them. And part of that is the support that we give to them. It's also our responsibility to change our behaviours here. And yeah. government needs to support people to do that. You know, we have ambitious targets on reducing car use um, and on switching off the gas boilers. But there is a cost to all that and people need incentives and schemes to help them make that transition. And the I, government, has, you know, we've had this huge financial yeah. input over COVID. Yeah. Climate change and the impact to all this is a significant a threat to the world as COVID is. We need to see that investment. I'll bring in thanks. I'll bring in the lane and Graham in a second. But Alistair, what do you make of this as as a political issue? This is going to be a stinker, isn't it? Because the, uh, sooner or later, somebody, whether it's the UK government, the Scottish government, the present Scottish government, the the, the, the next Scottish government, the, the next whatever, whatever, some politician is going to have to tell people, "Sorry, no, you can't do that. You're going to have to change your way." And I know they want to do it by cajoling. I know they want to do it by persuasion. I know they want to do it over time. But sooner or later, somebody's going to have to do that, and it may not be popular. It won't. I mean, there are so many difficult decisions associated with the climate crisis that are going to have to be made. I mean, it's even just stuff. I mean, I live in a, a tenement building in Edinburgh, and tenements yeah. are, you know, appalling energy and heat loss. Yeah. Um, and, you, you know, you can look at retrofitting them, but it's extremely expensive. Uh, will that cost lie with homeowners? And if not, who's going to pay for it? I mean, th those costs will be huge. You've got stuff like cars. I mean, we... We talk about electric cars, but if you talk to climate campaigners, uh, they'll make it quite clear that electric cars in and of themselves are not, you know, they are part of the solution, but they are not the total solution. So we're going to have to think about how we live in cities, how we design roads, you know, what space we allocate to cars. Yeah. Um, there's going to have to be a huge investment in public transport if we're serious about encouraging people to use it and making it, making it easy for people to use. A lot of time people will choose their car simply because, you know, getting public transport from A to B is quite difficult for them if they live in a rural area or yes, out with the main towns and cities. There are so many difficult decisions, not least Campbell, which you've obviously already talked about. Yeah, Elena, are we going to end up persuading? Are we going to end up directing? Are we going to end up cajoling or maybe even incentivising? How do we go about persuading the public to, to move in a different direction? I mean, it's a really difficult one. Um, 14 years ago, me and my husband had a shop called Green People, and it was all about reusable products. We had the refilling stuff. We were well ahead of the curve. Um, I've been using Way reusable, wow. yeah, you know, hey, reusable period products since back then. Um, and, you know, it's taken up till this few years past for people to mm -hmm. actually catch up with that. So that modal shift is never going to be easy. But we have to make sure we take the communities with us. So we have to think about community wealth building. How does that fit into this? whole um, climate justice and climate change agenda that we've got how do we actually bring community transport solutions to people as well that are you know steeped in, in green technology um, and we have to unlock private money too so you've got the public money and the private money and sorry to interrupt you elena but i mean that, that all sounds admirable it all sounds ambitious but it sounds slow to me it sounds like it sounds cautious it sounds like the sort of thing it's going to take a long time, especially when I mean you, you're there already. You used to run a shop in this in this sector. You said you were you were you know an environmental activist in your your youth. I mean, you still regard yourself as an environmental 
activists now, but the, the vast majority of people are not. They're, they're just, they're, what is this COP stuff? They're, they're, they're okay, they're, they're across the idea and the concept of climate change, but they're maybe not across the details, the sort of details that you're talking about there, and they're going to have to be confronted with it sooner or later. Yeah, and it's going to take bold and brave politicians to do that and be those leaders at all levels, whether that's local government or national government or our other national government in Westminster and yeah. leaders within our communities. And we don't have time, so we don't have 14 years to wait for people to catch up um, with those new trends. Um, and then, you know, over the summertime when we had unseasonably hot weather um, down in the South Carrick area, I ended up with private water supplies that dried up for hundreds of my constituents. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the week after we had the floods in Edinburgh. So these things uh -huh. are actually happening to people here. Okay, got you. So you ask people to make that connection. You ask people to make that link. Join the dots. I love that phrase, your other national government. That, that's tremendous. It, it's re re reminiscent of something else, I, I think, but never mind. Uh, Greg, Greg, Greg Simpson, what, what about this point that you, you're going to have to persuade, cajole, and bring people along? Yeah. Um, I mean, if you, if you think about um, transport, which is one of the biggest uh, emitters, uh, of uh, greenhouse gases, um, then you know that 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 that's that's a really difficult area in itself. Yeah. Think about the the, the private motor car. If you want to get people um, away from petrol and diesel um, into electric yeah. vehicles, or or even hydrogen, maybe further down the line. But right in the moment, we're talking about electric. Then the infrastructure has to be there, and right now. It's not there. Um, it's not there to uh, any extent that would persuade enough people to switch to electric vehicles. In Scotland, we have a target of having 30,000 uh, electric vehicle chargers uh, by 2030, so another nine years. But the current rate of progress, it will take 45 years to hit that target. That shows how difficult it is. And then if you look at people like Alistair, who live in a tenement building, how is he going to charge an electric vehicle if he has one? Um, he's certainly not going to run a cable out of his window uh, yeah, down, down to his car. So we need to be thinking about, you know, for people like Alistair, can you provide enough chargers in the street so that he could be persuaded if he wants a car? I don't know if he has a car or not, but if he wanted one, um, could he? Would he have the ability to charge it up? If he doesn't, if he doesn't want one, and he wants to use public transport, then we need to make the public transport system better uh, and more connected up. Uh, so, for example, um, we could have. So, certainly, we need to electrify our buses. Um, we need to get uh, all all our trains away from diesel, so either electrified or running on hydrogen. Um, looking at uh, Alistair's flat, um, if he wants to um, improve the energy efficiency of that, that is a massive, massive issue. Yeah. So enterprising Edinburgh Dell boy even now trying to work out a scheme to, to, to get electric supply to, to Alistair's, Alistair's car. Uh, Claire, Claire Breaker, let, let me bring you in. I'm going to move from, from concern there. A very good discussion, I thought, about the, you know, the, the, the way of trying to persuade people. Let's 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 raise the eyes. Let's take the broader perspective. You you mentioned it. The first minister talked about the necessity for the voices of the global south to be heard at this COP conference. Claire Baker, have they been heard? Are we paying enough attention to the the the, the vast damage that is being done to other countries by environmental change? I mean, I am in some ways I've been fortunate that I have heard them, 
that, as I said at the weekend, there was a global legislature summit through in the parliament. And yeah. we had uh, representatives there from the Maldives and uh, from Indonesia. We had people there from uh, South America. And you, we had somebody from the Amazon forest. She's an elected politician. She's a minority politician in Brazil. The kind of political pressure they're facing in Brazil with their leadership, the lack of okay. commitment to climate change. You know, so I've heard the stories. So they're, they're being heard. The are, they, are, they are, being those, are, they, are they being heeded, Claire? Is that getting through to the, the decisions that will take place at COP? Yeah, it's exactly. Do they have a seat at the table? Where the, do they have a seat at the table where the decisions are being made? You know, because I'm not in that room. Um, they should be in that room, and there are concerns that they're not. There have been powerful speeches made in the plenary sessions, yes. and you would hope that leaders of the you know of the, of the wealthy countries can hear that. Um, we'll just have to wait and see what we come to at the end of the weekend. Some of the commitments over deforestation and, yeah. and these other areas maybe do point towards the recognition of the pressures faced in these countries. But even I'm hearing from them, they, they have concerns that the commitments aren't firm enough, that there's not enough accountability within there. And, you know, as I mentioned, Brazil, sometimes they're fighting with a, with a political leadership who are actually standing in the way of progress in these areas. Elena and then Graham, what do you make about that? Is, is uh, uh, Put it a different way, are the voices of the Global South being heeded at uh, COP26 in Glasgow? Elena Whitham, first of all, please. I'm not convinced at this point in time that they're being heeded. I think we'll have yeah. to wait till the final detail comes out. I think we also have to recognise that the voices of young people are, are not always being listened to and the voices of women. So Indigenous people, women, young people, and they really have to feed into this um, entire agreement. And unfortunately, they're not at the top table. And, you know, I think we just have to impress upon those people who are at the top table who control the finances, because we're not talking about a few, you know, billion we're talking about trillions that are needed trillions, to actually yeah. make the just transition so the finances yeah. and those voices are hugely important uh, uh, graham simpson uh, uh, is the voice of the global south being heeded at, at glasgow I, th I think i'm with the other two i think yeah. that the voices are being heard um i'm not convinced they're being heeded um yeah. you know that, that you know we'll only know when we see actual firm action being taken so declarations of intent and not the same thing as actual action. Let, let me turn to you, uh, pro yeah, probably finally, un un unfortunately, too. Uh, you mentioned young people there, uh, Elena. Let, let, let's come to you. Uh, a remarkable speech by former President Obama in which he urged young people to, what was it? He said, stay angry in the fight. But he also said, and this was kind of missed, you know, stay angry got through. The video he added was, but don't be too pure uh, about politics. You know, you need to enter perhaps democratic elected politics in order to make a, a distinction. I, I'm really quite struck by that because, of course, we have these massive, impressive demonstrations surrounding COP, but the decisions are taken by the, well, elected or otherwise uh, leaders of the of the member states. What, what do you make about that, that contrast, if you like, between the voices outside and the voices within? Elena? Well, do you know, if you ask my 16-year-old my self who had a mohawk and purple hair, and who was a climate oh, activist. Oh, I want to see a picture of that. <laughs> right, oh, if, you asked, if you asked me then whether I would be sitting in Hollywood now um, and having come from being a deputy council leader and before that a community council member, um, I would have scoffed at it because I never wanted uh -huh. to become the system. But in order to make change from within, you have to be part of that system. So we need to make space for people to come in. And those angry young people at the moment need to stay yes. angry, but they need to bring that energy into the, the, the elected um, sphere. So you know, it's, I'm it's, all for supporting it's them. It's difficult, though, isn't it? Because, you know, I mean, the, the point we started by discussing was the prime minister talking about 
corruption that 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 impression that some young people may have it, it's it that, that they're all a bunch of charlatans that they're, they're all a bunch of crooks that you know that they're, they're not working for us and it, it, you know from my, my experience as a journalist of 40 odd years covering it's not true you know the vast bulk of public servants the vast bulk of mps and now msps are trying their best it's 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 not true but you know how that impression gains gains ground elena that's a real difficulty isn't it, it it's it's really easy to say that they're just not they don't, they don't speak to me at all it is very difficult. And if you think about what's happening just now in terms of the you know the corruption allegations down at Westminster, yeah. it seems as if for them, being an MP is their second job. Not that they have second jobs, but <laughs> being an MP is their second job. Yeah, and I think that be. that speaks to young people who are really angry and it's really, you know, it turns them right off politics. It used to be but the way the 19th century. If, if, they're not hearing, the yeah, if they're not hearing their voices being amplified and listened to, um, because they should have had a much bigger space in terms of um, a youth conference at COP. And thankfully, yeah, the Scottish yeah. government stepped in and, and, and had that. But up, they yeah. need to be heard in council chambers too. Uh-huh. They need to uh, be uh, heard within community trusts, etc. Uh, Alistair Grant, have you been, you've been covering it? Uh, have you been struck by this, you know, the, the, the extent of the demonstration? And, and has it engaged, do you think, at all mm-hmm. with the, the leaders inside, you know, President Obama referred to it, not many others have. I think I have been struck by it. I mean, I think the yeah. demonstrations we saw on Friday and Saturday were just absolutely massive. I mean, you saw the pictures of them streaming through Glasgow and it was difficult yeah. to see where the march ended and where it began. There was just so many people yeah. involved and so many young people as well. And I think you, when you look at the conference, I mean, all the people that are taken to the stage, I know the UN itself is always very keen to encourage that protest, yes. to you know, give the appearance that they're listening to young people and that they want yes. them to be there, they want them to be protesting. Yeah, you, so said I think appearance, though, like you said appearance, well, you see, that, that's always the concern, that, that it is, yeah, thanks very much, great, pat you on your little head. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's always a risk that these things come across as uh, not, not patronising as such, but just kind of, you know, yeah. listening to them, enjoying the spectacle, enjoying the fact yeah. that young people are engaged, but maybe not listening to them in the sense that you're going to take action on the back of what they're saying. Um, but, but, and I think it's, it was interesting what Barack Obama was saying from the stage, yeah. I think, in that message to young people. Claire, Claire Becker, do you think there has been an engagement between the demonstrators and the and, and COP itself, has there been any sort of interplay? I was lucky enough to be in the Blue Zone yesterday as convener of my committee and yes. I was struck by how many young people were there. It's maybe just that I'm getting older, but there was a lot of young people there. And the event not that we the had slightest, was... Not in the slightest. You, 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 <laughs> did, did, did you have a Mohican as, as well? I mean, you know... I'm, no, no. I'm, I'm, I did have would, a skinhead. Would it fit with the curly hair? You had, you had a what? I did have a skinhead. I had a Sinead O'Connor haircut when I was much younger. Um, okay, okay. <laughs> but, uh, well, I had an event with uh, so the the M- our MYSP was there, a, a well along with the equivalent in the Danish Parliament. So they were given a voice uh, speaking to politicians, and there were a lot of young people in the blue zone. How much they were involved in the discussions, I don't know. You know how many of them are around the table. Um, so it was great to see. You know, it's important that young voices are amplified it is their future they need to be around the table and making these decisions and they're often the drivers of change within their own communities and their families let me ask each of our politicians and i'm going to come to alistair finally but let me ask each of our politicians are you optimistic do you see a a deal emerging that will be in in any way uh, acceptable to to those who are are demanding uh, action on climate change let's go let's go to uh, uh, graham simpson graham are you are you optimistic of there being a deal that will that will work it will satisfy people I'm broadly optimistic. Um, I think we're getting there. I think we have to be optimistic, and I hope that is justified when we get to the to the weekend. Uh, uh, Graham, pick up and, and have a go. You'll probably get interrupted again, but have another go. <laughs> right. Uh, broadly optimistic. I think we're getting there. I think there are, the, the signs are good. 
Yeah. But um, we need actual concrete action. I think I think we're probably not going to get that this weekend. Okay. okay, Elena, what's your take? I think I'm still optimistic as well. But you know, when we see Germany, you know, not taking advances in terms of the car industry that we need them to take. I think we're still at the point where the soundings from the USA and China are really fantastic, and it it shifts the direction a bit. And if we can harness that and just keep pushing. Alistair, this is your your final podcast with us, in, at least in your current guise. You're you're moving to pastures new. It's been wonderful doing all these these few shows w- with you. So congratulations on 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 uh, moving to a, a different job, and we'll all, we'll all miss you. You, you. you it must be a remarkable change. Oh, thanks very much. Thanks. <laughs> it's, as you say, I'm not moving far. I'm still covering no. politics. So. No, indeed. No, uh, indeed. Well, move on, um, folks. I'm going to draw it to a close there, Alistair. Uh, congratulations to you. All the best in. in the future career and all that sort of thing. Thanks to all the panel for joining us today. Thanks to you uh, all for watching, listening, or whatever one does. And also to uh, Elena and Claire, given their, their declaration on this show. It's uh, peace and love, basically. Just peace, peace and love. <laughs> Thanks all very much. From me, Brian. Taylor, Anarchy and peace. Anarchy and peace. This podcast was brought to you by The Herald. Take 20% off an annual subscription to The Herald with our exclusive podcast code. Just add Herald Pod 2021 to your basket and get instant unfiltered access to our website. And you can also get involved with the Brian Taylor podcast as well. Tune in on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube every Thursday afternoon to catch Brian and his panel chat live and ask your questions to the people across the political scene. 